0: listening to let's talk trio on podcast make sure you're following us on all of our social media accounts
1: thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of let's talk trio in this episode we have dr carmen rivera she is a talent manager for organizational development for the office of vice president for student affairs at colorado state university some things that you need to know about Carmen is that um, we met, uh, well, she, she actually trains a lot of departments across campus uh, at Colorado State University. We happened to kind of catch up. I, I heard she was a, a trio director and I just had to meet her. And, uh, you know, small world, she is from New Mexico, which really brought that connection back home to me and uh, definitely motivated me to, to get her on the program. Now, Dr. Carmen Rivera, I apologize, putting you on a blast a little bit, but uh, we've been trying to get her on the program, and she's a super busy woman. She is doing lots of things for CSU, and she is uh, doing magnificent work, and uh, we finally were able to uh, catch up and sit down to discuss her life story, her inspiration to go to college, and her journey as she makes her, uh, as she took those uh Paths to, toward her career. So c- coming up next, Carmen Rivera on the podcast. I would like to take a moment to just remind everyone you can send us a request to be interviewed. Please send your request through our Facebook page. Look for Let's Talk Trio and send us a quick message. Again, a huge thank you to all of our fans on Facebook. Thank you for all the warm uh get the get wills for my son. He is doing magnificent. Um Uh, We just had a doctor's appointment on February uh, 5th, and the doctors were just amazed with his recovery. Uh, He's doing great. I just want to say I appreciate all the prayers, the thoughts, the well wishes. Uh, Thank you very much for putting up with our kind of wacky recording schedule and uploading schedule. We really do appreciate it. A quick announcement. We are going to be at the washington's music venue this friday february 14th at 7 p.m we are accompanying the trio upward bound program at colorado state university they are attending the concert for grammy award winning artist Oso motley we will be there to uh, capture their stories get the reactions maybe even have a cameo from Oso motley who knows but uh, this is a first for our podcast we're really excited to um, to elevate our game Uh, And we're just kind of excited just to be there. Uh, So thank you to the Washington staff. Thank you to the CSU Upper Ground Program, Sean Jaster and Jose Olivo. We appreciate all of you. Uh, Thank you for the invite. Uh, We are excited to be there this Friday uh, at the Washington Music Venue here in Fort Collins. Another quick programming update. We are also going to be uh, next week, Friday, February 21st, 2020, we will be at the state capitol to celebrate trio day with all the trio programs uh, uh, sponsored by the colorado chapter of aspire we're also going to take a moment to let you know that we will also be present at the trio day celebration for colorado state university on tuesday february 25th well without further ado please sit back relax and enjoy this episode Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. Today's guest is a very special guest that uh, uh, we've been trying to get on the books for a while. Yeah. So Carmen, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. No, no, please do. Um, this is Dr. Carmen Rivera, uh, works at Colorado State University as the talent manager and uh, also talent organization. Or cl- Sorry, clear that up for me. Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah. It's
0: a, the long official title is oh, talent no. manager. Okay. it's like long Uh, talent manager for organizational development nice yeah so it's basically like working on looking at the staff and the organization to see how we can optimize the talent of the people within the organization and the organizational structure itself to help staff be able to serve students so amazing that's my like 10 second elevator pitch for a very convoluted yeah. tile.
1: Well, I think our audience really yeah, very sure. much appreciates that. For sure. uh, a little bit of background about Carmen. Carmen is from Santa Fe slash Mora, New Mexico, yep. which is one connection we share. We're both from New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are. were a first-generation college student Yes. and you earned your undergrad degree at the University of Northern Colorado, which you majored in Spanish and Mexican-American studies with a minor in communication. Um, Carmen started out as an advisor for the TRIO Upward Bound program, which is why we have her on the Let's Talk Mm -hmm. TRIO podcast. And she attained a degree in student affairs and higher education at Colorado State University. She continued her work in TRIO for about 13 years and currently is serving in her position under the division of student affairs. And we must also include, you have recently completed your doctoral degree here at Colorado State uh, as a... Uh, the degree was the Higher Education Leadership Program. Yeah. And Definitely. how recent was this uh, degree conferred? Um,
0: Yeah, uh, well, I defended my dissertation in July, and so it's still kind of fresh, you know, like that coat. It's still like nice. new car smell. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, freshly minted. Degree. Yes, freshly minted. Nice. So when people introduced me as Dr. Rivera, I still. Giggle inside a little bit. Oh yes, yeah. as a first-gen student, you're like, oh yes.
1: She yes. has this now very prominent position at CSU. I don't know. And we were talking know. about earlier. Sorry, I'm gonna have to sneak to sit yeah, here yeah. about the type of movies you like to watch.
0: Oh God. Okay. We're <laughs> already trolling me. What are we? Thirty seconds right. in? That's awesome. okay. That's awesome. Yes, for sure. I feel like you have to be a well-rounded individual. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so while I have this like experience in the ivory tower. And have spent most of my life in school I think to balance that it's important to like movies that are immature and <laughs> kind <Absolutely. of> dumb. <laughs> yes I yeah. mean
1: I think what you were saying earlier is that sometimes we think of these super high administration officials that they can only enjoy certain types of movies certain types of music but you really expanded your music choices you listen from everything to Um, island reggae to current pop music, a wide breadth of stuff and that includes movies.
0: Mm -hmm. Indeed,
1: indeed. Right on. Um, So Carmen is here to talk to us about her experiences in TRIO, but not only that, but also to give us a little bit about herself. So Carmen, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and share with us about your origin story, really?
0: Yeah, for sure. I is I, I'm taking it that's a Marvel reference knowing you wink wink yes okay I don't know what that means because I'm really I'm going to need your expertise to help me in that area
1: absolutely um,
0: yeah but uh, for sure uh, yeah I grew up in Santa Fe New Mexico and um, being from northern New Mexico is hugely important to me and is really I think the frame around like th- through which I see like the world and experience relationships what I see is important and how to raise my family, like the work that I do, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I'm, you know, multiple generations, multiple upon multiple generations from this valley of Northern New Mexico called Mora. And, um, yeah, so my, my story starts there. I have to, that's where I start. And it's a really agricultural community. So, um, while I spent most of my time in my, childhood all the way through till i left for college in santa fe i spent like you know every weekend seemingly um in mora i spent all my summers there with my grandparents and my cousins and um so both of those places really have a huge um i don't know influence on the way i am in the world right now Mm -hmm. you know growing up on a in a rural slash frontier community where you know you have Cattle and chickens, and you know you grow alfalfa, and lots of the work that you're doing um, is to sustain yourself. Um, and you're learning traditions from your parents and grandparents and great grandparents, and hearing all those stories. Um, that's what it just keeps me as, as cheesy as it sounds. It keeps me grounded and um, connected to something that's for me bigger than me and more important than just my own job experience or job title or any of those kinds of things and so um and then being from the deserts of northern new mexico you know you have to kind of learn a little bit about <laughs> um resilience you Absolutely, know yeah. and so um there's like the metaphorical lessons the physical lessons the emotional lessons all of that um from both the family and the land so i think that's pretty um important to me and I bring that into like all of the pieces. um yeah so uh I grew up kind of like working class poor family um and my parents uh they both had distinct influences on me because they're kind of different personality traits you know yeah. and um my mom is four foot eleven and super scrappy and um always 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 advocated for us all the time in school mm-hmm. and all this stuff, and she had super, ridiculously high expectations of us, and so um, we would always aim to meet those, you know. And um, yeah, so I think that that was an important part. Um, and then my dad, he has a much more um, kind of, I don't know, jovial energy, mm-hmm. and he likes to read all kinds of things, and so. He taught us a lot about how to question authority. Oh, he taught us a lot about yeah. how to laugh at ourselves and um, all of those kinds of things. So I think between the two of their influence influences, um, I think that that also had an impact on me. And then they split when I was young, um, about nine, I was about that age, and I'm the oldest of my siblings. And so then that kind of put a lot of responsibility on me as we kind mm-hmm. of, um, we were mostly with my mom most of the time. And so... I think that um, that also kind of shaped the way I um, experienced my, my teenage years and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I was in New Mexico until I graduated high school, and then I came to Colorado after that, prom- with the promises of going back after I graduated undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had a intention of going back. Honestly, yeah. I was really committed to going back to the like the community from where I was, and. Um, I, that's not out of the question yet still, but I ended up making a life for myself here that was really great and meaningful, and yeah, I've been here now longer in Colorado than I was in New Mexico, yeah. so that's weird to to think about.
1: Yeah, okay. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you to go to college. So mm-hmm. you left New Mexico in pursuit of something, I'm, I'm assuming, greater, and mm-hmm. then you were pursuing something. What What inspired you to go to college? What, what drove you?
0: I mean... Well, my parents, really, like, it was not really a question. I mean, they kind of talked about it as though it was an inevitable truth, maybe. Cool. I don't know. Like, they yeah. talked about it like, you know, school's going to be your best option. Um, I I I don't know. I had the faith of my teachers, and, like, I was in upward bound when I was in high school. And so um, I feel like that, by engaging in that program, it became like a clear reality for me. And so, again, my, my parents always said that, like, school is, like, the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, while I think I mostly framed that as whatever grade I was in, um, once I got to high school, I understood that that meant something beyond high school. Um, so, yeah, they pushed me. Despite them not knowing anything about that, you know, my dad had gone to technical school. Um, after high school, he went to the military and then after that came back, and he was in the navy, and then came back and went to um, school. And so, um, but he never earned a bachelor's degree. My, you know, and so I think for him it was like that important piece to like go go on and do that. And my mom just like, "You're going to college. That's it." So there was no question no, that in your no family it was really, no,
1: like you said it earlier. Yeah, it was inevitable.
0: It was kind of like if you weren't going to go to college, you're going to have to like petition the government. <laughs> pass right. a resolution to be able to let that happen but yeah. yeah so they had they yeah my mom always like yeah you're gonna go we can't pay for it but you're gonna go yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you gotta yeah. figure it 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 out yourself man. yeah yeah for yeah. sure right on yeah
1: um what were some of the challenges you faced as you made your journey toward college what was some of those adversities or obstacles
0: i think just i mean prior to admission it was like really not knowing anything about it like n- nothing like aside from my teacher's I didn't know anything about what college was like, aside from maybe a movie reference or, you know, something like that. And, um, so I didn't know the first thing about what it took to get there. And then I started, um, as I, I was in like this, uh, I don't know what it was called at my school, but it was like, um, enriched program or something like, it was like gifted and talented version of something like that. Right. When I was in high school. And so, um, all those kids, not all of them, a lot of those students had parents who had gone to college or they had already, they had had a, they have had some roadmaps, right? And so I just started, like, watching, like, what they were doing and then what they were saying. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah me too, me too, right? Like, you know, <laughs> you like... Uh, like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know that. Yeah. And then I'd, you know, try to go figure out what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I was in confirmation classes at, the like, you know, 15, 16 years old, I remember. Um, and my confirmation teacher, I used to babysit for her kids. Uh-huh. And she went to college. And so I would ask her a lot of questions. And um, until then, I got into bound, and there was like much more structure around. Yeah. This is what you're going to do. This is when you're going to do it. When I stayed in the residence halls over the summer, I was like, oh, okay. Started seeing things in a little bit uh, different way. And so I think... By the time I got to college, um, I once I got there, I was like in new territory. But yeah. up until that point, I felt like I had had some supports to help me figure that out. But um, school was fine. I did okay in school. Um, I can do school. I don't. Yeah. I didn't always love it, but um, I was able to perform and do those kinds of things enough to be able to go to college. Yeah. Right, right on. Yeah, I used to have teachers who would tell me like even in elementary school all the way through that I was like um, always smarter than my grades indicated. Yeah, and I think some of that was like the little like rebellious streak in me that was like yeah it's fine.
1: Yeah,
0: I didn't I wasn't motivated by grades or being like the first in my class or anything like that and so yeah.
1: Did Upward Bound validate any of your uh, any part of your journey that said I'm capable of going to college or I have the the skills to be in a post-secondary institution
0: I mean yeah for sure I think that that program I think I had like kind of like a dual experience with it right because then at school I had this I was in these like classes that were for the air quote smart kids Mm -hmm. right yeah and so all of these people in my classes were talking about oh I'm gonna apply to this school and that school I'm gonna go to this school and I'm gonna study medicine I'm gonna study you know you know all these things, and I was just like, "Dang, okay." Yeah. Um, yeah. So I felt like that was like the culture that I was in, right? And then at the same time, though, that same group of folks would look at folks and uh, students in like programs like Upper Bound or other like helping helping programs for the lower income students or anything like that, and in, in kind of a way that was like looking down their nose at it. Mm-hmm. And so I had this like really like dualistic experience in it and that when I was at the summer program for example I felt awesome it was great it was great to be a part of it but when I was at school it was like much more complicated because of that peer culture that Mm, I was experiencing mm. in my classes and then um, so anyway I felt like I had the teachers in that program definitely I had an English teacher who I still am in contact with right even up until today um, who was like Undoubtedly confident in my abilities like mm-hmm. it was clear from from the get that she was like oh yeah you're college material like you're definitely college material now just get your butt in gear and do the work and then you'll be able to go to college and so that kind of like confidence and um pushing was really great and then in Upper Bound it was more like here are the resources here's how to apply here's how to write all that kind of stuff I didn't get I didn't need the push from Upper Bound to do school I right. needed them to yeah. help me with my the path to get there and yeah. so they did that in a way that was really those two things were complementary.
1: yeah right yeah. On. Um, what did it feel like being a first-generation student at a four-year institution when you arrived to University of uh, the University of Northern Colorado yeah. what did that feel like
0: um, well we went to go we went to go on a tour you know yeah and uh, my mom was with me and my confirmation teacher from church And, um, we get there. I don't know. Have you ever been to Greeley?
1: I've been to Greeley a couple times. It stinks.
0: It's smelly because there's, like, a lot of, like, agriculture. Like, animal production. Yeah, Yeah. like, cows and stuff. And so we got there and we're like, what the heck? (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been to Santa Fe. It's, like, hella bougie. It's, like, really bougie. Santa Fe, yeah. Yeah. It's really, like, a touristy place. Yeah, it's a total touristy place. There's all these, like, rich white people, like, (laughs) driving all their fancy cars. We didn't live on that side of town. But, like... We lived in a, that kind of community, so we right, get to right, right. F- we get to Greeley, and we're like, "What the heck is happening here?" Right? <laughs> then we get to campus, and like that was the first time in my entire life that I had been around so many white people. Yeah. And so my mom was like, "Are you gonna be okay? Like, are you gonna be safe here?" Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it. She didn't mean that in a negative way, but we mm-hmm. had never been in a place that was quite that white. And we're, I mean, there's a lot of white people in Santa Fe, but that was like next level first gen, you know, predominantly white institution. And now that I know more about institutions, UNC is not even like, you know, they're, they have more folks of color than a lot of other schools. Anyway. So, um, I think that some of those messages about like, I looked different than other Mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. I talked different. Um, in Northern New Mexico, we have a little sing song in our um, accent and the way we talk English or Spanish, any of the Spanglish all of them yeah. um, and so I talked different than my uh, friends uh, and so so I think that that was like a big, it was more of like a culture shock I think um, that I was experiencing um, I immediately got connected to the cultural center there and a lot of the students and the staff who worked there were first generation students and so we didn't have any, like, services that I knew of once I arrived um, for first-gen students, but once I kind of got connected, I got connected to the student support services program there. Right on, yeah. Um, so a continuation of my Upward Bound experience having another TRIO program. I didn't connect that both of them were TRIO programs until, like, later, right? And so um, I just knew that there were folks who were helping me. and. yeah badgering me all the time about like hey you need a register hey you got to go to this SI class this supplemental instruction thing you got to you know like and so I think again what replicated in college was I had these like wraparound services um, that helped me kind of transition from that culture shock and then all that other stuff because again ap- academically I, I feel like I had that confidence inside that I like, oh, I'll be able to do school it's yeah. fine, yeah. but um, it was like how you did that like studying it was just different in, high, in college and so I had lots of people helping make that transition er- easier so I had a okay first semester then I got like super social on my second semester got really hard because <laughs> I had yeah I had some. Uh, jumbled priorities, I'll call them. Okay. And so, um, <laughs> but then by the time I got to my sophomore year, I was like, cool. I was like, oh yeah, yeah we're good. I, I got this, and we got this because yeah. it was like there a bunch of people helping me.
1: I think a lot of first generation students like. They have this uh, in their mind that I'm going to get into college, I'll be right in rhythm with everything. But it takes a minute, right? For it takes sure. A, it takes a minute to get used to mm-hmm. how the flow goes in college, no matter what institution you attend. It just takes a minute.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that like, just even like um, how to make how you make friends and how to determine, like that first year, everything's just like a, everything's like drinking out of a fire hose, oh, like sure. coming at you. <laughs> like there's all these yeah. services, here's all these things, right? You're in the residence halls, do this stuff. And so I didn't know how to discern what my lane was, like where I was going to land, right? And so I remember going into the, I had, we had suite style residence halls and um, I was with my suite mates, uh, two white women from Colorado and me, one of my roommates was somewhere else, I don't know where they were. We're walking into the dining hall, and there's this all these tables outside of like sororities. They're Mm. like, "Oh my god, hey, come join our sorority!" Yeah. And um, I looked at them, and I hadn't really, I my only reference for Greek life was Revenge of the Nerds. Oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's what
1: everybody's kind of reference point is, right? Yeah. Or Animal House.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, unless your parents were in it, or you know, like that kind of stuff. Which, again, uh, my. Immature sense of humor. Maybe start with the nerds. I don't know. Um, it's starting to come a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> lambda, 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 Um So they were, like, approaching us to, like, come talk to the table, right? And um, as we walked by, they were like, oh, not you, just the two of my two sweet mates. They were talking really? Right. Oh, so wow. it was, like, in a really overt, wow. like, yeah, 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 not you, brown girl from New Mexico. That's all I heard. Yeah. I don't know what they meant. Um, I know now. But, like, <laughs> at the time, that's all it felt like. And so it was like I had a, I had experiences like that mm-hmm. that I think were much harder for me to learn how to navigate kind of on my own. Because I had never sure. really had to do that, right? Like, even in New Mexico, I didn't have, like, all of my teachers were brown until, like, junior high. And then I had, like, two white teachers. And then, right, like, it was, like, my culture, my identity, my name, all of those things had been affirmed and had never, like, my racial identity, even my class identity, I think for, it's in large part, because so many of us were in a similar space, had been not seen as a, necessarily as a deficit. Yeah. And maybe it had, but I didn't, I, for other people, but I hadn't experienced that for myself, you know, like, having a really supportive, large family network, and then doing well at school, I think you just get a lot of affirmations, and so... Uh, and support in that way. Um, so it was the first time where I had to, like, oh, figure out some of that stuff. And I mm-hmm. tell this story often that um, on one of the first days they uh, I was going to go this job fair, and there was a guy at the cultural center table, and I was like, I need a job, you know? And he's like, yeah, right on. Come on, to the, the, we're, you know, recruiting or whatever. And he's like, so what are you? And I was like, oh, I was a mom a freshman. And he's like, uh, yeah, no, no, but, like, what are you? And I was like, uh... What? What do you mean? Yeah. It was literally the first time in my life I had been asked like my racial identity, my yeah. like ethnic identity from somebody who looked like me. And it was like so confusing for me. Um so I had lots of moments around that that the cultural center helped make sense of for me too, and it was in large part a way that I ended up um, finding connections on campus around kind of social justice, equity work that Um, I think I was primed for before then, but um, that was some of the ways that led me to that path in college.
1: Right on. So you had this four-year experience Mm -hmm. at UNC. You got your degree. uh, You started transitioning over as a professional. Can you talk to us a little bit about that transition from college student to now being a professional?
0: Well, I think I had it lucky. I mean, now that I'm like telling all these stories, I'm like, dang, I feel kind of like grateful for a lot of the, like, I don't know, lots of good things in my life, right? Support and people and opportunities. Because I, I went from Upward Bound, went to college, was in student support services. Um, while I was in the summer, while I was in college, I worked at, here at CSU for the Upward Bound program as a mm-hmm. tutor counselor, so I had oh. come back and um, worked for us, the six-week summer program for Upper Bound. It just so happened the universe provided an opportunity that there's a job opening at that same Upward Bound program here at CSU um, right as I was graduating, right, right soon after. Mm-hmm. So I worked a couple, like, just random jobs um, to kind of stay afloat. And I had gone home over went to break, and they're like, there's this job opening. And um, so I applied and got that job. So then I nice. essentially just graduated college and then jumped right back into Upward Bound. <laughs> and so... Um, I think the transition was probably easier than a lot of other people who might have to go into like a industry like accounting or sure. you know something else. But um, so supported by a lot of other first gen fac- um, staff, right? And so yeah. um, I do I did find that I was um, still facing many of the same first gen things though as a professional. So I'll give an example about and I talk with this I talk about this with other first gen. Um, fac- staff and faculty about how those challenges that we often faced as first- gen students don't leave us when we become professionals um, we were expected to go to a conference right my first year out like we we're gonna go to a CoE conference a, oh uh, yeah, yeah, One trio major conference. Conferences. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I had, I had, I ended up joining a sorority in college um, and So we had had a conference there, but it was like, it was different to me than a professional conference, right? Yeah. And so that was my only framework for a conference was like something that I had some level of responsibility to put on in that framework. But I had no idea what it meant to go as a conference attendee, Mm -hmm. or I didn't know what you had to wear. I didn't know the expectation, like, what do I have to pay for? What do I not have to pay for? So I was finding myself not asking questions of anybody because I felt like everybody around me knew... Mm -hmm. the drill like knew what to do you know and so um, uh, luckily I had some friends who were also newly hired within like the year ahead of me that um, one of them was a part of my sorority from a different um, campus but I was like so what like what do I do what do you know lots of questions like that so I found like I used that as the example but I found that there were a lot of expectations about professionalism or like campus politics that I just wasn't aware of that I had to really learn through observation, Mm. through asking questions, through faking it till I made it. um, That kind of approach um, that I hope that we're doing a better job now at being more overt about with everyone, right? So like if you have a new professional on staff, a new staff member, regardless of their level that you say, hey, we're going to go to this conference. conference looks like this the typical dress is this here's what you're expected to cut you know like what you might have to cover on your own there's also this opportunity for a travel card or a cash advance or those kinds of things so that people don't have to figure that out on their own and so anyway that's what I feel like were some of the issues that I was facing and I think sometimes still face right Um, yeah Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, so As part of this, uh, as we got this podcast together, I had to do some research on you. So I stalked you a little bit on on the CSU website. I saw that you did uh, some of your international study in Belize. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that experience?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, when I was an undergrad, I studied abroad for six months in Mexico. Um, One of my majors was Spanish. And so, and I wasn't like a. I didn't speak Spanish. It wasn't my first language, really. It was kind of always spoken around me. So I had an understanding or awareness of it, but it wasn't like my primary language. And so I felt like I had to study abroad to understand it. Mm -hmm. So I caught the bug then. That's when I caught the bug. I was like really, like it was really a great experience for me to leave um, the country as a first gen, low income, brown, you know, young, emerging adult person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I got to graduate school there was an opportunity to study abroad in Belize and so it was a much shorter experience and it was great it was again an affirmation that uh, I really am drawn to things that are outside of just my known world and so um, it was really super awesome I felt like um, when I studied abroad I was assuming and thinking like oh I'm going to go to this place where I'm going to have a lot of familiarity and it's going to be great because you know you know, Mexico, New Mexico, we're yeah. like probably cousins or, right. you know, like I didn't have any like that. Um, I <laughs> there don't were some have, relationships. Yeah, I didn't have a story of my ancestors migrating mm-hmm. north from, yeah. um, anywhere else. And so I thought I'd go there, but it was like, I was they called me gringa. I had no cultural markers. And this was right. like, even before, um, like a lot of like the nuances and changes that would happen in Northern Mexico in like the, 2000s and stuff because of um, migration i ha- i have i would have a lot more for reference points now than i did when i went in the 90s and yeah. so yeah anyway so when i got to belize i was like oh like you're we're for real probably like cousins yeah of some sort right great. all of us and so it was kind of cool um but yeah it was great it was really great i got to learn about higher ed systems there that's
1: awesome has mm-hmm. that inspired you for any additional travel or research
0: yeah, for sure, I continue to travel as much as I can. I've um, definitely like to travel in the, in our, in the United States, um, but I love traveling internationally too. And so I've been able to travel to Brazil with work. I've been able to travel with, um, to Egypt with um, one of my best friends and that's where she's from. And so I got to have kind of a locals experience there instead of just like a tourist experience and that was pretty fun um i've not yet been to asia and i would really love to do that right hopefully soon ish on the list yeah it's definitely on the list nice for sure um but i love traveling love 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 traveling and i think honestly studying abroad in my um bachelor's degree time my undergrad time was the thing that got me hooked
1: nice yeah that's awesome yeah so Speaking to that, now you, you're a professional here at CSU. You served in a variety of roles. What memorable moment stands out to you in your time served at CSU?
0: Yeah, I mean, I always tell people that my favorite job was at Upward Bound. Um, honestly, I like my job now. Um, there was something pretty magical about working there. I was also I was young. I didn't have like any family responsibilities. I didn't have kids. I don't have any of that kind of stuff, you know. Um, I was single and sometimes not single during that time. And you know, like it was just a really great time for me to learn what it meant to be a professional, to work in higher ed. And so I feel like that was really a great time for me to develop in in that program. And so I have moments like where we would take our seniors on a senior trip out of state to look at colleges. And so um, we took them to cities like Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, right? San Francisco and all that stuff and it was one of my favorite things ever to do and we would take them and you know the things of course that they would be most excited about were not the things that we had thought oh they're going to be psyched about like the Statue of Liberty they didn't care about that they were more excited about the rats in the subway (laughs) those kind of things right but like seeing all of this stuff um, through their eyes was like really really great exposing them to new things we had started a tradition that no matter what city we went to we would take them to eat dim sum in that re- in that city, oh, really? right? And so, to have students just experience something in a way that they had never experienced, and this is already after like a sophomore trip, right, where that was just local to go see CSU or UNC or something like that, and mm-hmm. we would take them out to like Chili's or some local restaurant, and students would be like, "I've never had a, I've never been to a restaurant where I had a waiter."
1: Yeah,
0: like I remember being like, "What?" How is this possible? Right. You know, like, and remembering, like, just being being close and entrenched and invested in students' lives that just lived a totally different life than me, um, even as I grew up and stuff. And so, yeah. um, just experiencing those things through their eyes was just really, really, really awesome. And like the talent shows at the end of the summer programs. Oh, yeah. Oh, those are fun. We used to joke that it was, like, our no-talent show. <laughs> it was a, the no-talent all-heart show. Oh, because yeah. Because it yeah, was, yeah. like, students who were, like, the shyest, most introverted person at the beginning of the summer out there singing Beyonce or pretending to sing Beyonce <laughs> and lip-syncing. And the rest of the crew is, like, yeah, cheering as though it is Beyonce. Yeah. And so, like, just the love and support. Like, the... The ways in which the summer program showed them an alternative reality, right? Yeah. Like, was yeah. so powerful to me. Yeah. So, so powerful. So, even now, I still try to go back and hang out with them. And That's cool. Experience yeah. that, like, magic. So, yeah, I love those for sure.
1: Absolutely. So, you, you uh, had me remember a story that I want to share with you. Yeah. Um, so, our director took us to a restaurant. I was, this I'm a first generation, like, never been to a fancy restaurant before right yeah so our the menus are laid out and you know she's signaling to me like go ahead and read the menu we were visiting new mexico state at this time mm-hmm. uh, new mexico That's state university yeah. and um everybody was like already all the other students i can tell like they were they already had their order like they knew what they wanted to order i was over there <laughs> like taking my time and i saw something that i really wanted to order and my director doris goes you know fine you order whatever you want and i was like oh but this seems kind of expensive and on top of that um, it was an item that I didn't know if I could get. So everybody was, like, ordering their stuff, and then I go to um, my director, Doris. I'm like, Doris, can I order this? She reads it, and she's like, steak drenched in wine, cooked it. She's like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, but it's wine. Will I get drunk? And she's yeah. like, no, the the wine is going to cook out of the yeah. meal. You're, you'll be fine. No, They'll totally. it. I was like, I don't know. though. And she's like, I'll just order it for you. He'll have the... So she ordered it on my behalf, but I, w- I remember feeling, like, so, like... Embarrassed that I didn't know how the food process is cooked, right? And how that was affect totally. so, Yeah. Yeah. But you sharing that made me want to share that part of my story. Yeah.
0: It's like that all the time, right? Like, it's like being a first-gen student and then having all these, like, f- like a fancy dinner with all these forks and knives yeah. and spoons and cups mm-hmm. and all these things. Like, how do you pass things? And you just, like, watch other people. I'm, like, watching other yeah. people. How are you yeah, doing it? Yeah, you become it? really <laughs> observant all of a sudden. Right. And And, um, yeah, so... I love those, um, having those moments with students and being able to walk them through it and build their confidence and help them experience new things, but also like make meaning of that experience. So not just for the experience sake. And I think that's what we did really well as staff when we worked in Upward Bound is that it wasn't just to expose them to this stuff. It was to help them learn from that exposure and like really think about okay so you went and you left you went on a plane for the first time yeah and you went to this and so like at the end of every night we would you know sit around in the hotel lobby and talk and like what were some of the things like where did you feel uncomfortable or did you feel like i got this like that kind of stuff you know and so it was really great. It was awesome. That's awesome. Before <laughs> I move on
1: to the next question, just for the audience, that steak was the most amazing steak I've had. Oh, dang. So that's best good. Steak I've ever.
0: Maybe it was because you <laughs> hadn't had one yet. <laughs> 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 so, like,
1: so you're yeah, like, your expectations like, were really low. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> like that.
0: Like, you. It's like now birthday parties are like whack cuz I've had so I've had so many. It's like, no, that's fine. But my first one was the best one ever. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, for sure.
1: So you're really well known for a lot of the work in diversity, social justice, and leadership and that really speaks volumes to the to the campus. Yeah. Um so why are you so passionate about this field? What what draws you to it? What continues for you to like to keep pushing forward with it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of things. I think I um started off that I come from a family that tells stories and so I've heard a lot of stories about my family fighting for our land and fighting for what's right and so I think that was just part of like the ethos of my family cultures that you stand up for what's right you know yeah um and do that kind of stuff and so um like wild wild west stories of my family like standing up against people trying to take their land right like that kind of stuff and i think that like at a foundational base that was just always in my brain and my head and my heart right about how to determine what's right from wrong and so then as i continued to grow up and have experiences in college like i said you know experiencing like racism and sexism and like that kind of stuff um various levels and forms of violence that um I found it in my own like, like the way to address that for me was by trying to address the systems, environments, cultures that we work in. And so um, me working for Upperbound for so long was in an effort to help get more people who, you know, see the world differently and haven't had all of the opportunities that rich people have yeah. into school so that we can get their talent and creativity, into college so that when they go out into their fields that they're bringing that into those spaces. And so so that we can have spaces that are um, more equitable for more people. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's... And again, I think that because I have had so many people invest in me, have faith in me, like support me through my prop, my own journey, continue even today, um, through my PhD program, right? I'm old these days, like... And I still have people supporting me and encouraging me and rooting for me. Um, that I think that that's part of what continues to drive me. And we are seeing plenty of evidence around us that we have no shortage of the need for yeah. continuing to build more yeah. equitable and liberatory spaces, environments, cultures, systems, policies, all that stuff. And so for me, wherever a person is coming from, whether it's like, You know, my mom worked at Walmart for a large part of my, like, childhood, and uh, that's, I feel like anybody who's working, is that's honorable work, right? Like, whether you're at home raising kids or, you know, um, a farmer or wherever else, like, you have an opportunity to make the world better for somebody else, that in whatever work that you're doing, that that's a central part. Is like, not just thinking about yourself, but paying attention to those around you, um, who has access? Who doesn't? Um, those kinds of things. And so, um, I've just had a lot of. I was an, I was like an ethics studies major, you know. So like, they kind of like teach you. Yeah. <laughs> You're like this world is, this world is messed up in lots of ways, and they need we need you. Yeah. It's like that kind of imperative, you know, like that that call um, to us. And so, um, yeah. So I think that that no matter what it no matter what it is, you know. often joke joke that sometimes like right now it's like been a hard time to be in higher ed it's been a hard time to be alive as a human I think um in lots of ways for a lot of people but I think um there's days where I'm like forget it I'm just gonna I'm peace out of here I'm gonna be I'm gonna go be the receipt checker at Costco they like (laughs) have good benefits I don't have to deal with all this crap I can just look at people's baskets and be like oh when did we get that granola that's dope Or yeah. like oh winter boots are in sweet I'm gonna check those out right um and so that I could just be with people in a like less like politicized kind of way because um, I get tired sometimes and so but then even yeah. even then I feel like in that space I would not be able to not think about like sure. where's the hierarchy how are things go who doesn't get a say and what I can't I can't get out of it and so yeah, I think it's just part of who I... It has become part of who I am in men, many and multiple kinds of ways.
1: You've kind of perfectly transitioned to my next question. Cool. Because we give, you've given us a glimpse of Car- Carmen Rivera as <laughs> uh, social justice, uh, diversity, really th- that part of leadership. But now we want to know who is Dr. Carmen Rivera outside of academics. Yeah. And, like, what do you like to do with your family, with... Um, with the time that you're given outside of the university.
0: Yeah, (coughs) excuse me. Um, Yeah, it's been like a time for me in transition out of being in a PhD program. I've been in the program for like five years, you know, and so um, it's a good and timely question that you're asking that, because I'm having to redevelop some of that. Because for the last five years it has been, that's the thing that I think about all the time. It's like I was in this relationship with this PhD and, I'm like glad to be out of that relationship, <laughs> honestly. I was telling somebody the other day, it's like, oh, I wanted to tell my PhD, it's not me, it's you. You need to go, you really you need to be done. And so I'm glad I finished my dissertation so I could do that. Congratulations. Thank you, yeah, very much. Um, I don't know, I think that uh, I love to hang out with people. It's like my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I are very different in that, like, I'm always down to throw a party and have people over and, like, do that kind of stuff. And, um, she's more like the one-on-one kind of person to hang out with a friend or do that kind of stuff. And so we have to compromise that a lot. And so sometimes with the family, sometimes it's with, like, friends and stuff like that. So I'm always down to host a party. We love hosting, like, Halloween parties. We host, like, dinners, like the other los Muertos dinners oh, or like themed dinners for mm-hmm. smaller p- groups of people. So I love doing that. Having two young children, um, really also kind of steers my habits and hobbies. And so just doing things that get us outside, get us trying new things. Like, um, I really like the band also Motley and yeah, yeah for sure. And, uh, so I've seen a bunch of times, but, and they have this Ozo kids kind of sub effort with like their music, but for mm-hmm. kids yeah. so they released this album a few, a few years ago and then they've taken that on tour, tour and so like this a few weeks ago we took the kids to the Ozo Kids show and they like lost nice. their it was like the best thing that they'd ever done they were like yes and they wanted them to play other songs like <laughs> after party <laughs> or they were like singing like yelling to the, to the band I was like I don't think that's for kids <laughs> and so I was like feeling like A little bit of pressure like you shouldn't have been letting your kids listen to that music again like so you know and so anyway um yeah so doing things like that exposing my kids we still like traveling i mean i like to try to get them out to places it's fascinating to me to think about the ways in which i'm seeing them experience life in ways that i don't i could i learned as an adult so going through security at the airport for example um, my kids who are four and eight already know how to do that like they know how they have they wow. carry their own bag. Yeah. they know how to get what happens at the security line at the airport mm-hmm. and I think about the social capital that they're learning and getting through these experiences that it took me a very long time to learn and understand and so that's pretty cool to me to like think about how I expose them to that um I'm struggling on the other end like how do I help them not be entitled to you know, mm-hmm. tool bags by the time they're grown up. <laughs> and so, right. you know, I send them to the rancho in the summer so Holy that they could Lord. have to, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> build stuff and carry stuff and, you know, learn the ways of the land, too. So that it's good they for character. Have, yeah, for sure. So they could have that and learn, be harassed by my younger brother. Just, they, he <laughs> gives them endless amounts of, you know, harassments in the most loving way, but, like, oh, you sure. know, Absolutely. Yeah. And so anyway, I think, I think about that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah, so I think I, am also thinking about what's next in terms of my, um, how I'm going to like continue to contribute outside of just my work. And so through scholarship and activism and those kinds of things. So, and then honestly just being, um, an example for an out queer interracial family like nobody in my family in my immediate little family has the same racial identity you know we have Mm -hmm. two moms raising two kick ass sons and like um really trying to be as um rooted in love as we can as cheesy as that sounds but like I think that that's pretty revolutionary right now absolutely um and so being in community with people around that kind of like let's hang out let's be happy let's spend time in you know joy and you know that kind of stuff that I feel like the pressures and the like all the stuff that's kind of constantly happening or happening around us right now um that we need more reminders of how to do that and be in community with that so I found like a lot more commitment to doing that and being that too with people yeah you know, because like I had never, I had never been to a wedding where there was two people of the same gender, until I got married, mm-hmm. right? And that was a long time ago. Like, um, we've been together fourteen years and married eleven, and so I think about that a lot. You know, yeah. and so.
1: Well,
0: yeah. congratulations on fourteen
1: years! Thank you, thank
0: you for sure. It's f- no easy feat, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's good yeah yeah for sure
1: Right on. so we're gonna start r- wrapping up the podcast yeah. uh, a couple questions for you the trio programs are always at risk of losing funding because they're a discretionary grant uh, what steps would you like to see either uh, not to specifically talk about Colorado State but universities wide or even community colleges or technical schools what would you like them what steps would you like to see to, for them to help uh, trio programs grow
0: yeah I think one of the things that I learned from here um, at CSU and then other programs that have been around for a long time is like the need for centralizing TRIO programs in a broader context, right? So sometimes we have a very um, provincial or isolated approach to how we do TRIO programs. Cause like, if you're a TRIO person, you're like a TRIO person for life, right? Like that kind of thing, which is awesome. I love that energy. And sometimes that that isolates us from the rest of like campus or community, because I know there's a lot of community agencies out there. I mean, in community agencies too. So really thinking about how do we expand our um, like collaboration and really like thinking about how do we build those coalitions across disciplines, across community agencies um, so that more people are invested in the magic that is TRIO, right? more people know that it works the more people are committed to it the more people see that it's um, a valuable thing the other thing too is like how do we while students are in the program think of them as alumni before they even leave the program so is it it's important that they know that they are in a trio program they need to know that that's what they are it's important to give them the language of being a first generation student being a low like using those as spaces that are seen as attributes that are to their benefit versus as deficits, right? So you have tremendous navigational capital, man. You've been out here making it, like I see you doing, making some bad decisions about how you're getting your hustle on, but we're gonna steer that into a better direction. Right, right. Right. um, So let's think about how you already know some of this stuff. Now we're gonna put it in a different context, right? Absolutely. So how do we talk about that and see students while they're in the program and while they're being served? And using the language that will help them stay connected to the programs outside of it so that, you know, we're, we're voting with our votes too and how to support it and, yeah. um, and do that. I think that we're just in a volatile time around government. Sure. And um, we've, we've, we have weathered TRIO and all of the folks who have supported it over time have weathered tremendous amount of storms. And so, and I think that that has been in great part due to the coalitions that have been built, built. and so continuing to do that um, in more intentional kinds of ways are really important. Getting people, like, to know that working in TRIO is an option, right? So through, like, um, master's programs for student affairs or social work programs or any of the liberal arts programs, like, hey, check out this as a viable career option after college so that people see that not just as like oh there's this one thing you could go be like a guidance counselor yeah for sure that's a thing but then there's also these other things right so like having a career um, track that's more visible for people might make it also seem more like an institution like a school or like a trio program right like that kind of thing so yeah I think that there's lots of ways and there's lots of creativity really relying on our students and their creativity hearing them out, what do you? how do you think we can keep this alive forever? Sometimes their ideas are silly, but sometimes like, if you steer into that you can find something really kind of cool. So, I like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's really cool. We've been interviewing Dr. Carmen Rivera, who is the Talent Manager for Organizational Development for the Division of Student Affairs at Colorado State University. Any parting words for our audience that may be aspiring to go to college or for aspiring professionals?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, when I think about my own journey and so many of the people in my that I've had the um, benefit of getting to know through my work, my consulting, through school, all of that stuff, is that some of the most brilliant and creative people um, come from families like mine, right? First gen maybe low income, maybe first gen to the country, like immigrant families, those kinds of things, like working class, rural, all of those. Um, And that oftentimes we um, fall into the trappings of believing that we're not good enough or not built for or not meant for institutions like higher ed or other professions. And I think that we have to do all that we can to um, combat that by being in community with each other, by you know when we get to the point of earning our degree that we're looking back and making sure that the path is still clear for people behind us and not only that it's clear, but that we're actually maintaining it and continue to um, reach back and make sure that we're giving back um, so that we can make it easier for the folks who are behind us. Um, I think about the students in high school right now, Man, they know a whole different world than I did at their age. It's like an entirely different world. And so I need them. I need them in the future, right? Um, As I think about me in my retirement age. And so if we can think about how we can find the ways that we're connected to each other and are in some ways beholden to each other um, for our greater success, that would be awesome. I think that we have veered... All the way one one end in this individualistic society that's not helpful for us. Um, like you know, make as much money as you can and keep as much of it as you can for yourself. That's a weird way to be. Yeah. That's like just weird. And so mm-hmm. um, that finding and connecting to the richness of our communities wherever it is, and that we're responsible to each other is really really important to me. Especially as I think about my access. To decision-making tables to you know all of those kinds of things in higher ed that I don't have I have a responsibility to like ask hard questions and push the envelope and say let's do it a different way now when a person who's behind me who's in high school or who's in college and they're first gen and low income they're trying to make it and Mm -hmm. so I need to make it so that they don't have to try as hard right? right to overcome all of the obstacles I need to help eliminate some of those obstacles and so I think that for me that's an important piece for professionals is that you have resources and we have a responsibility to help clear the way continue to clear the way and then for folks who are still in it like the students who are looking up to see like oh my god college is still ahead of me or i'm in college now or i want to go to grad school or all of those things that like you already have what it takes despite what people think right if you're in college you already had what it takes you don't need to prove yourself anymore you already have what it takes so have confidence in that. Reach out for community. You're not alone. Um, observe. Look around. Ask questions. All those kinds of things. And then if all this fails, just, like, go to your room and listen to some <laughs> pop music. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise <laughs> to words. To, like, soothe your feelings <laughs> of inadequacy so that you can, like, refuel again for the next day so that you can remember, yes. I got this. Because it's not a perfect line and it's not a you know it's it's not a straight like shot to get to those those goals and part of the process is like the detours that you take right and yeah. like i might find something new and exciting there and so yeah um that is yeah to have faith in yourself for sure amazing and your community because it's not a one-way thing i've said that in my story like And I'm really appreciating having this conversation because it's like, dang, the way I retell the story, it's either that I'm like seeing through it, (laughs) seeing it through rose-colored glasses, Uh or that indeed I did have a lot of support and community around me. Um, And like so many of us do, and we just need to make sure that we're connecting to that, right? And it's not, we're not in it alone. So, yeah. Right on. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, Doctor Rivera. Thank you. Thank you so much for the interview, and yeah. thank you. Hopefully, we can have you on in a future episode again.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's been fun.
1: And we can talk a little bit about Step Brothers and uh, some of the lowbrow. If you need I me to
0: have any quotes in there, there then you go. we can. <laughs> <laughs> I can quote a lot of them. Yes. Fantastic! Thank you yeah, so much. For sure. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yay! We awesome.
1: I wanted to say thank you to Dr. Carmen Rivera for being on the podcast. What an amazing story and really highlights uh, the need for that type of support, academic support, as we elevate students who, you know, that they have that feeling of, I know I can do college. Uh, College could be for me. And then having that support to uh, really cultivate that. And uh, Dr. Carmen Rivera, again, doing wonderful things here at Colorado State University. If you'd like your story to be featured at Let's Talk Trio, please send us a message through Facebook. You can find us on Let's Talk Trio. And again, send us a quick message and let us know that you're interested in being interviewed. We're also opening up this interview opportunity for Trio past Trio achievers and current Trio achievers. So if that description fits you, send us a message. We'd love to get in touch with you. The Let's Talk Trio podcast is growing momentum. Please subscribe to us, share us on your social media sites, uh, download Podbean. Really, downloading the episodes goes a long way to helping this podcast. So the, the more downloads we get, the more uh, recognition we're getting, and uh, the more we're promoted on Podbean and across multiple podcast platforms. Continue doing that great work, Trio. We appreciate you. We appreciate the Trio community. Uh, We'll see you back here for another episode of Let's Talk Trio. Intro music is by Newell, titled Morning Lights. You can find the artist on soundcloud.com. Their music is free to download. We appreciate our intro music from Newell. This episode was produced by Emilia Castaneda. Sound engineer and music transition by John Russell. Executive producer and host, Juan Rivas honorary members of Let's Talk Trio are Scott Kendall and Roderick Chambers.